Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Everyone is waiting for me to ask you about the end of the first half. Let's just start big picture. Can you give us your side of the story, your description of what happened between you and Eric Bieniemy at the end of the first half? Yeah, I think um, after seeing the video, uh, I mean, I see why people thought it was a bigger deal than it actually was. Um, Obviously, as an offensive player and someone that wants to score every single time you're on the field, I wanted to go. I wanted to take another chance and try to get it down the field and get out of bounds or or something like that um, and try to get us a chance to either throw a hail mary or, or kick a field goal. But um, they had kind of made the decision, not just uh, Coach Bienemy. I think it was uh, Coach Reed and the whole offensive staff that we were in a good spot. We had the we had the lead and and we could just kind of get to the half um, and kind of refocus and, and kind of having the ball coming out of half. And we w- didn't want to make a, a big mistake there at the half. So. Um, that's their jobs, and I, I got to be better at uh, knowing when when that, that is the right decision. But at the same time, I, I always want to score. I think that's kind of who I am. Patrick Mahomes from earlier in the week on his disagreement with Eric Bieniemy that played out in front of cameras. I think what made it worse was Andy Reid coming over and grabbing Patrick Mahomes by the arm. Like, come on, let's go. Yeah, let's come go. On, let's no. go. Let's yes. stop it. Let's come go. on, come on, young son. Let's go this way. I mean, it wasn't horrible, but it wasn't nothing either. No, well, no, it wasn't. You know, but I don't think it was anything that is that crazy on an NFL sideline. You know, it's not. It, it, it becomes more of a thing when it's the quarterback, and we see that and the antics, and then it becomes also more of a thing because this is a thing with Eric Bieniemy because there's a few haters on social media and and people like that who, oh, Eric Bieniemy hasn't got a job because you know he's a jerk or. You know, yeah, LaShawn McCoy. Or he didn't play me when I you know, was at the end of, of my career. Parade. Right, exactly right. right. It's so all that, his that's fault. It's not LaShawn it. McCoy's fault. Right. It's Eric Bieniemy's fault. Right. I don't yeah. remember anybody on the Tampa Bay Bucks staff playing LaShawn McCoy either when he got on that team at the end of his career. So I don't know. That's, just, that's, that's where I don't think it's totally fair to the situation. We don't see that a whole lot, but I didn't think it was egregious or anything like that. 
Well, uh, look, it, it does happen. You're right. I think when it happens at the end of the half and it's prolonged and they don't have other things that the camera can shift to. Right. It just and, and again, Andy Reid coming over in a benevolent way, trying to get everybody to the locker room like that. That's, I think, what caught attention because it's it, it, it's they didn't have to be separated. It was just, you know what? We got 12 minutes. Let's get our let's get our butts into the locker room. Uh, and do what we got to do so we can come back out for the second half of the game. We're not going to waste the first minute of a 12-minute halftime arguing about something out here in full view of the cameras and the public. Hey, also, Mike, right? Like, uh, yes. the kicker, he's not there. So what, what are we going to try to Amendola, I don't think he had the confidence of the football team for them to think like it's Harrison Buckner either to go where, hey, wait, if we just get the ball the other 43-yard line or 40-yard line, our guy's going to make the 58-yard field goal. So that changed that dynamic, too. Sorry, Mike, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, you're fine. You're fine. Um, Let's take a closer look at all of the various things that happened to the Chiefs. And the good news is it took about seven or eight things that didn't go their way for them to barely lose. Right. right. You get one or two of those things to go your way, you're going to beat the Colts. It's kind of like the silver lining for the Bengals after week one against the Steelers. Hey, a lot of stuff went not your way, and you still almost won. So there is a glass-half-full element to all of this. Before we get to the highlights, Chris, I mean, there is something encouraging that comes out of this. I agreed. That's why I think we're doing this, because you and I and Matt Casey, our producer, and you know, Courtney and Kristen in the back room, they're putting this together, and I think they heard, especially on Monday I came in, and even Sunday night I was like, man – you know, I don't know. Just watching the Kansas City Colts game, at no point did I think the Colts were the better football team. At no point. It kind of seemed like Kansas City controlled the game throughout, even with some of the turnovers. And, you know, I was having a hard time going, like, wait, what exactly happened that they lost this game? I know they Kelsey could have taught a, caught a touchdown pass and all that, and that's where Matt Casey came in and he saved the day, and he had, like, a bullet point thing of going, wait, remember, this is what happened. You were yelling this out during the game. It was like 10 things where you went, holy crap, yeah, that'll make you lose a game even when you physically dominate it, and that's where – this is going to be fun to watch this and, and put it into some context here. And here they are in chronological order from start to finish. Chiefs at Colts, week three. What went wrong? Everything went wrong. Starting with a punt. Hey, three and out. Good news. Chiefs getting ready to get the ball, go down the field Ooh. and score a touchdown. And up Sky Moore. Uh-oh. Yeah. They want the ball. He didn't see it on the carom. The Colts get it. And the Colts take Colts an offense lead. that's struggling, and now you give them a life. Well, we feel good. We got a touchdown early in the game. No, you haven't done Jack Diddley squat, but you got a touchdown. And they get a touchdown to start it off, and then Patrick Mahomes has Marquez Valdez scaling open, and he overthrows him. Over- that's not a throw that you see. Patrick Mahomes miss. Right. Overthrows him. Here's the missed field goal, right, by Amendola. Extra point. Extra point. When they did get me. a touchdown. That's right. That's right. So, you know, there, there's one point left on the board. Here we are, third and goal on the two, Mike. First and second down, they ran it up the middle, which they're not a running team, and then they don't get a touchdown here. That that one to me, too, I, I wondered whether or not it was interference, but it didn't matter. wasn't called. Here's the call for the fake field goal because they didn't trust Matt Amendola. That was a long fake field goal attempt, Fourth and it and was ten. poorly executed. Right. Yeah, it just didn't make any sense. Here's what you were talking about earlier. Travis Kelsey, I know he's twisting his body around away from his momentum, Still, those gloves, with those gloves and his skill, you don't make that mistake. And he tweeted, 
acceptance of responsibility after the game. Chris. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we were just so used to seeing them make them make that connection, and then they leave these points on the board. There, a chip shot field goal, right to where you go, man. They're controlling the game. They should be up by ten points at least. And then you go, all right, well they'll be okay. Here they go. Here comes the sack, and then here comes you know mean talk by Chris Jones. Disturbing language is what the official post-game report, I'm told, articulated as it relates to Chris Jones. Sean Smith, the referee, said, disturbing language. It oh. has no place in professional football. And as Coach Dungy said Sunday night, if that was the case, they'd never finish a game. There'd exactly. Be a flag on every play. Get out of here. That's nerd alert, all right? Nerd alert. They don't throw the flag there. That's ridiculous. And then here's the interception, you know. And again, I think this is a mess up. I do. I think they, that McCole Hardman and Juju Smith-Schuster are not running the right route. They have a conversation after the play because I don't think McCole Hardman was in the right place. So that was a little mess up, too, and I don't know why Mahomes compounded it by trying to fit it in there. But, yeah, it was just a, that's, that's a pretty long list of things where you go, wait, if, if, if just one or two of those don't happen, you go, they control the game, and we're talking about the Chiefs you know, being maybe the best team in football and undefeated and all that. And instead, they they made a lot of mistakes and uh, lost the game. I immediately mobilized on Sunday afternoon to find out what Chris Jones said to draw that flag. Coach Dungy was sitting a couple spots down from me, and he turned and he said, "Can you can you find out what he said? Because my understanding was words don't really the thing that would draw a flag right, anymore." And right. and he's you know, and, and Coach Dungy played back in the seventies, but he coached up until. 14 years ago, he, he knows, he hears what's said on a football field. There's a lot of things that get said. That's right. So th- there's been – it's not quite a shell game. It's just no one will say what Chris Jones said. Chris Jones isn't saying it. Because at some point last night, I, I was – you know, it's like, hey, maybe you should ask him. Well, I have, and he's exercising his prerogative to not say what he said. He thinks that it was an overreaction. He thinks it was taken out of context. I mean, if you're the ones throwing the flag on him, I think it's incumbent on you to tell him and the rest of the world what he said. Because it's not just curiosity, although our curiosity is piqued, and there's Chris Jones reacting to the version from the NFL with the cap emoji, meaning they're lying. That's his assessment, not ours. But if you want players and coaches to know where the line is, here's an example to show them of a situation that's on the other side of the line. What did he say? At least we know we can't say that in a game that Sean Smith is officiating. And all the other officials need to have the same standard. Like, is there some magic book? Are they carrying around the George Carlin seven words you can't yeah, that, say on that's TV mine. if you say any of them? Thank you. Like, you, 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 you need to have, just like with pass interference, with holding, with roughing the passer, you need to have a rule, a standard that is reliable and transferable to every situation. It can't just be Sean Smith heard something that Sean Smith didn't like. That can't be the rule, Chris. I agreed, Mike. First off, it was my understanding that we had moved past this too. You know, it's one thing if he's standing over him, and again, it's man junk on him, and he's doing that and all that, and we all see it in the visual stuff there. Okay. There you go. Then that that's fine. I get that. That's a bad example. First off, nobody on TV would have known anything if he doesn't throw the flag. We would have thought, hey, he could have been like, hey, do you want me to bring the baked cookies over to your house tomorrow night? We don't know what the hell he said. All right? I, I don't like this. This is the referees getting involved in a football game, and it's an emotional football game. It's about physical and mental intimidation. 
Who the hell cares what he said? And you're, this is to me, you made the point here. Who says that you know what is the thing that actually offends a player? I've had guys say some crazy crap to me. I don't care. They talk about my mama. I got pissed off, and now I'm mad, right? The referee doesn't throw the flag on the mama talk, though, but he might throw it on something else where I'd go, why? I don't, I don't care. I mean, I don't know what you could possibly say, you know? And then, and in those situations, yeah, a lot of stuff gets says, you know? And it, and, and you black mofo, you white mofo. Yeah, you're white. You're a mofo. I'm coming back to get you. Yeah, you're black. I'm a mo. Yeah, I mean, stuff like that gets said. Don't be so sensitive Sally there, the referee. But that, to me, I have a major issue with him getting involved in that, that know spot what it right is. there. Bottom line is, we need to know what it is so other coaches – and that's what somebody said to me last night. It's a coaching point. We need to know what he said so players can be told, don't say this. I mean, Andy Reid told reporters on Monday that his advice to players is just don't talk. That's not realistic. It, it gets back to the whole taunting thing from last year. You want these guys – to flip the switch from human to robot, it doesn't work that way. You're a human. You're out there. You're pushing. You're shoving. Your adrenaline flows. Your emotions run high. Oh, I got to flip the switch back. I can't stand over a guy. It's a physical sport that requires me to tap deep into these instincts I have, to unleash them, to, to bring everything that I have as a physical specimen and then I've got to turn off whatever feelings it may engender in my body that right. may cause me to say something or do something that goes along with this effort that you want me to harness and and project. It's not realistic. It's not realistic. And and look, something else someone said to me last night. It's good that I know people who are smarter than me who are insightful about these things. Hey, what what did Tom Brady say that sparked the fight? Between that, the Bucks and the Saints. That's my problem. Right? Right. It, 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 you know, hey, big, scary defensive tackle says it. There's a problem. You know, you know, skinny white quarterback says it. I bet you it's not as much as a problem. It's, I bet you the referee doesn't care about it as much. Also, too, okay, to add to that fact, right? I mean, do, do, we, do you know? You know, this is where it's a slippery slope. And I'm not saying this happened, but I'm just trying to give an example. Do you know? I mean, were you in the pile? Do you know what Matt Ryan said to Chris Jones? Maybe he said something right. that was every bit as bad. Just shut up and referee the game. I did not tune in to watch you determine who wins the Colts-Chiefs game because of what you de- de- deem necessary language. That's That was an issue, and that's really a problem. And, I, and the NFL needs to do something about it. Hey, they've gotten – the players have adjusted – to you know, not standing over guys and doing that. They've learned to just turn this way while the guy's here and celebrate over here, and you can say all the things you want and go crazy, and you won't get a penalty. This is, like, ridiculous to even have an adjustment period. I don't want an adjustment period. Talking trash, intimidation is part of the game. Get out of here with that flag there. Rule 12, Section 3, Article 1C of the official rule book does say that the use of, quote, baiting or taunting acts or words that may engender ill will between teams is part of the definition of unsportsmanlike conduct. <laughs> so taunting words that may engender ill oh. will. Again, how do you – where's the standard? Like how Stupid. do you – it may engender ill will. And, and look, I, it's very simple. And this is what – we just need to know what he said because either the referee overreacted and contributed to determining the outcome of the game or – Chris Jones really did say something that was beyond the pale, across the line, so horrific that he determined the outcome of the game. 
But in an age of legalized wagering, right? Yeah. And let's be realistic about it. You stop him here, you get the ball back, you score a touchdown, and the Chiefs cover, right? In an era where the NFL is profiting mightily from relationships with multiple sports books, you can't have this. You can't have this secrecy. You can't have this lack of transparency. You can't put those of us who are in a position to explain to the fans what happened in the dark. We're still in the dark. What does disturbing language that has no place in professional football mean? What did he say? What? For anything else that happens on a field, we can see it. For something like, and then we can judge whether or not it was was accurate. For something like that, we can't hear it unless the NFL films microphones were on and they're going to release the footage. And I bet you they don't. Right. We're not going to know Th- that that is a loophole. That and I'm look. Let me before I say this, I am not suggesting it's ever happened. I'm not suggesting it happened on Sunday. I'm not suggesting it'll ever happen in the future. However, this is the kind of stuff that a Tim Donahue could pull and affect the outcome of a game, Chris. This is a prime example of how an official, if he wanted to, if he was corrupted by the wrong forces, could use his discretion, affect the outcome of a game, and then cover it up on the back end. This is a prime example of how it could happen. I'm not saying it did, but this is what they need to be concerned about. I, I I hear you there. I do, and you know, again, language. I don't. Know. It's just it's it's a very annoying one to me. It really gets me heated, honestly. You know, to Coach Dungey's point, gets you. It gets well, you using bad language. Well, it does. The the game will go on all game. We'll, we'll just throw flags all game long if we're going to start policing that. All right, and, and I've never heard a player ever. Nobody ever. All right, unless maybe like the N word was used. No, but there's no language that's unacceptable in the football field. None. The only don't spit in my face. That's the only thing that's unacceptable in a football field. After that, it's football. Like, get the hell out of here. And Mike, you bring up the point, you know, about the Saints Buck thing. There, there is a little, you know, rumor out there that a memo was sent to the referees about that fight and the language used in that, and maybe that's why they were over officious jerks in this one. All right, to steal a phrase from Marv Levy back in the day. Right. And I'll and, find out. I'll yeah, find out if yeah. a memo was sent. I'll yeah. find out. All right. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Good to know. Are, I, I don't know. Are we moving on to Bill's Dolphins or are we out of time? Nah, let's move on. Here we go. Let's go. OK, here we go. Well, I want to make sure because, you know, <laughs> it says 805 to end this segment and my my clock says 804. Yeah. So right, I right. guess we're going to go over a little bit. This All right. Good it was stuff. A good conversation. It was worthwhile. And. For a change, it included no disturbing language. It has no place on TV. Here we go. Bills 21, Dolphins, or no, let me try that again. Dolphins 21, Bills 19. What went wrong other than me getting the score wrong? Let's look at the Bills' miscues from Sunday on a hot and sunny and humid day in South Florida. We've got the oh, this is the uh, spike opportunity at the end of the half. The the weird spike thing, and and it could have been a pick six. Oh my gosh, it could have been. I don't know what happened here. I don't know if Josh Allen lost sight of the rules to go. Wait, you could still spike the ball even though you bobbled the snap. I don't, but that was a huge opportunity where yeah, they left three points on the field, and this was a big play here too. Yeah, uh, opportunity to score a touchdown. Gabe Davis has it in his hands and drops it. It gets punched out. So that's a really great play. A drop, right? Great defensive play, but that keeps the Bills from scoring a touchdown. Yeah, pick six. Oh, and look Matt at that. Milano. There's another touchdown. Right now, I, yeah, that's why he plays defense still. <laughs> 
He's got the gloves. You know, he, he hey, when it's right there, you've got to make that play, Chris. Yes, you do. You, you got to make that do. play too. You yeah. got to make that kick. I mean, that's, you got to make that kick. That's a, it's a, a chippy. It's a chip shot again to where yeah, it, it certainly put them in a bad spot. And then I did not like this call right here. I did not. But, you know, this is one of those that's unavoidable and they don't care that it's unavoidable because it's a blow to the head and neck area. Is it really, though? No, it wasn't. I don't know. know. We can rewind it. And, Mike, it's not the best view. Uh, We'll look at it in the next block. I think it's going to be after our further review. But I did not like that call. And then they blew some opportunities down here where you see Josh Allen really missed one of the easiest throws he'll ever make there. And it was defensive holding over the middle on Gabe Davis. That's where he wanted to throw the ball. Gabe Davis is going to be wide open. They confused the coverage. They held him, and then he tried to quickly get out there, and, of course, he missed the throw. And then uh, the holding call that pushes them back here. here. Right. Which was a right. That was a right call. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm not saying it wasn't. It's just another example of what went wrong for the Bills. Just like with the Chiefs, you have so many of these things that go against you. You flip one or two the other way. Isaiah McKenzie should have ran out of bounds right there. I don't know what he's thinking. I, I guess yeah, he didn't I know, know if he was going to make it. A, I don't know what he was. A lot is being processed in a guy's brain in that moment, but that's what resulted in not having enough time. Josh Allen not getting the snap off in time to spike it. Ken Dorsey losing his shit in the in the in, I'm sorry in, in the, in the <laughs> sorry. Come on, Chris Jones, <laughs> watch not, your mouth. At least we're not at least we're not live in in London for that one. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, you you. You change a couple of those, and the Bills win. Well, yeah, and, and, the, and you take some solace in that. Right. If you're the Bills. You, it's hard, but you, but I think you can. Well, it, those are the, some of those are fixable mistakes. There were certainly some plays there made by Miami there, and then you add on to the fact that you know uh, the left tackle messed up on the strip sack fumble that gave the ball to the Bills. I mean, gave the ball to the Dolphins at the four yard line and got them their first touchdown. They had it protected. They got the numbers. They got it right. Either the left tackle or the running back messed it up. You know, Josh Allen does not expect to be hit. So there was mistakes there where we go, I don't think the Bills will continually make those. And that's where you go, I don't. I never felt like they were the better team on the field. The Bills moved the ball up and down the field all day long. And credit to Miami for holding them out of the end zone and, you know, everything else. The, the Dolphins had two drives the whole game. That's all they did. It was two drives, and everything else was down. Like, we, we can't get off. It's three plays, punt. It's five plays, punt. So that's where it left a weird taste in your mouth. We're like, how did they lose that game? Because really, they dominated and controlled it. Uh, but that hopefully gives everybody an inside look. 90 offensive plays for the Bills, 39 for the Dolphins, over 40 minutes of possession time for the Bills, under 20 minutes for the Dolphins. And now, and Chris, this is what's disturbing if you're the Bills. And this gets to the point that I made before week one that I got real quiet about after they kicked the crap out of the Rams and the Titans. The pressure on the Bills may be too much. They are, since the start of the 2021 season, 0-7 in one-score games. All other games, 14-1. 0-7 in one-score games. You got to find a way to win close games. You can't have... Oh, and, and this and this is the old Mike Zimmer excuse. Well, we lost the game because this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. Yeah, that's the difference between winning and losing. That's what happens in football. It's very close, and you got three or four things that don't go your way, you lose the game. Welcome to the NFL. Right. Well, and I think the Bills, you know, and some of the, this is where it just it be, does become too Josh Allen-centric. Their inability to run the football, chew clock up, do that, you know, that makes it hard for them to put teams away. Let alone, I do think, you know, 
hey, it's it's the Josh Allen effect. There's other teams pushing the envelope on offense too, you know, because they know that Allen's going to go down there and probably score or whatever. But yeah, it's it's certainly something to kind of look out for here here in the future as their inability to win these type of games. All right, when we return, look out for the weekly version of After Further Review, taking a closer look at some of the not necessarily bad calls, but just calls that require a little further explanation and discussion. We'll do that when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Fourth quarter at Soldier, tied at 20, snap back to Mills. Passes tipped, oh! intercepted in the hands of Roquan Smith, tripped up by Mills at the 12. Do a dance, baby, do a dance! Takes the snap, straight drop. He's going to fire right. Yes! K.J. Osborne! You're so cold-blooded! Touchdown! Allen. Oh, he goes down. Oh, he gets, he gets back up and tosses it to McKenzie. He's trying to get to the sideline. Has to cut back in this tackle him out with seven seconds left. Ingram to tackle. We're not going to get this two, off. One. A couple of my good friends there that I've been doing radio with for years, Paul Allen in Minneapolis, Joe Rose in Miami, some hump day homers as we do our hump day tradition that I actually forgot about until after like week one or two. I think it was after week one. Somebody said, hey, are you going to do that really cool after further review segment? I was like, what after further review segment? Oh, yeah, that was fun. So we're doing it again. We did it last week. We're doing it this week. And Courtney's done a nice job putting together some calls that just require further analysis. We're not necessarily saying they were wrong. Sometimes they are. Sometimes we're just trying to help the cause of getting people to understand why the calls were made in the way that they were. Here's what we were talking about last segment. The unnecessary roughness, second and goal from the Buffalo Five, 10 minutes and 12 seconds left in the fourth quarter. The throw and the hit. And again, let's watch this closely. It looks like it's a blow to the head. But this happens sometimes. It's such a fierce blow shoulder to shoulder that is the head implicated? No. Was it a blow to the head? No. There's no blow to the head. It was not. The head jerks back, and we just assume that's what it was. Right, right. And, you know, to add to this, this is again, too, and and if we could rewind this just a little bit to, like, maybe right before. Or, yeah, just let it go. Not this clip here, but this next view we show. He is literally trying to stop. You know, I've looked at this. He is trying, as we get right here, look, he's trying to stop and go, wait, I'm getting out of your way. He hits him with his left hip. That's what he does. He's trying to stop. That's where, again, I'd like referees to use common sense. I know we're trying to protect the unprotected receiver there. All right? But what we're doing is we're protecting a bad throw and a bad decision by a quarterback and giving them reward for it. And I don't know what you're supposed to do here. If he, if he went up high or launched at the head or anything like that, throw the flag. But when you see intent to avoid trying to hurt the guy really bad, then don't throw it. 
And I feel like right now, if it's just even close, they throw it. And I don't like that. And it, it, to me, it was wrong. And you reward, right, like what I'm saying is not a good throw and a, and a bad decision. And hey, it's first and goal. And now you get to score a touchdown, even though you did bad the play before. I don't like that. October 17, 2010, when there were in about five minutes of real time, three devastating helmet-to-helmet hits that sparked an extensive conversation about what to do to protect receivers from taking those kinds of blows. In the aftermath of that, the league's message to the officials was to err on the side of throwing the flag. And then after a year or two, they ironed out that language because err on the side of implies we're willing to make a mistake. Air. We're going to err on the side. No, we don't want any errors. We want to get it right. But I think that mindset still exists. They throw the flag when it looks like the receiver took a blow with a helmet or to the helmet, even when he didn't. And that's another reason why, whether it's full-blown replay review or allowing the replay assistant to serve as unofficial sky judge and say, hey, 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 Bill, pick up the flag. There was no helmet contact. I know it looked like it. But there wasn't. And that's a key moment. It's a key moment. It's a huge Preserves moment. Drives, Won the game for him. Gives up field position. Yeah. It's And so, um, again, I, we'll keep saying it until the rule changes. But the consequences of something like that, where a mistake is accepted, are too significant to ignore, especially in an age of widespread and ever-spreading legalized gambling. All right. Ravens at the Patriots. There was a Rashad Bateman Fumble, right. fourth quarter, twelve twenty-five to go. The Ravens still won the game, but still, it's something to it's look a close at. Close one here. We're still, we're still trying to figure out when the catch is completed, and and this is one of the reasons why they they were always concerned about defining the catch. They don't want a guy to be in a situation where he's fumbled a ball when it actually should be treated as an incompletion. Did he have? And we know the formulation now, and it really is. They've done a nice job after years of struggling, Chris, to get it to where it's know it when you see it. That doesn't look to me viscerally like he had it long enough for it to be a catch. It, it was de- it, it, this is one that's just really tough. It's it's certainly questionable. And yes, you're right. In real speed, I did not look at it and go, "Oh, that's a fumble." I did not. And, and you know, and, and of course, we're getting to look at the replay here. The other thing that like makes you think that this wasn't a catch too is you can see 31 Jonathan Jones hands are in between the hand and the ball of Rashad Bateman so could he have had it all that clearly there you know I was I was a little surprised that they called this a fumble I was I I thought this was bang bang and I don't know is a football move made there I don't know if there is it's one two and try to protect your body and the ball's out and it, it, it's a close one. I'm certainly not mad at the call. I get it. I think I would have probably erred on calling it just incomplete. He doesn't secure possession. He does begin the football. Move I know, right? Come into the game. Yeah. But you've got to have secure possession as you're making that move. And one of the changes they made that I think helps solve this problem, you get three feet. Well, he didn't get the three feet. So he had two feet. He, I just don't see fully secure possession there. Um, you can say there's, yeah, maybe enough time for an act common to the game, but I just, not, I don't think he ever fully possessed it. But that's, that's one of the things that comes up from time to time. All right, this is one from uh, Monday night, the oh, game that Chris attended, the Cowboys at the Giants. Noah Brown in the end zone, second quarter, nine seventeen to go before halftime. Third and three from the Giants, ten. Let's take a look at the call. That wasn't. There were a few of these in that game yes, there where it's was. Like, well, I don't know about that, but yeah, I mean, he's 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 uh, he's wiped out and, and he's, he's wrapped tackled. up. He's he's held. 
I mean, you've got three or four different instances of interference on that play. I, I, I don't get it. Yet we're going to, you know, the referees can, you know, put something in their ear and hear what Chris Jones is saying, but they can't see this one. I don't get that. The Giants got away with a lot of holding in this game. There's no doubt. That jumped out to me in person. But these are like, this is unexcusable. I don't understand how this gets missed with all the referees on the football field. I really don't. This is not pass interference. This is, you know, mugging someone on the side on the, on the street, on the sidewalk. So it, it's beyond pass interference or defensive holding, whatever you want to call here, depending on the ball in the air or not. But you just can't miss that if you're a referee. Yeah, absolutely not. And there were several of them on Monday night. Yeah. There was an offensive pass interference questionable call mm. on Giants receiver Sterling Shepard. Obviously, later in the game, he would suffer that non-contact, not even making a cut ACL tear. He's out for the year. This was near the end of the half. Giants with the ball, third and 13 on their own 42. Let's take a look at the uh, the call here on Sterling Shepard. Sit, sitting there, right, I thought it was just ball. two guys running into each other. It certainly wasn't a pick play. He's not looking to pick anybody, right? He does drop his shoulder, though, well, at the I, end. I, I, he doesn't just run through it normally. There's a little – it's got that – and, again, know it when you see it. It wasn't just, oh, we ran into each other while I was running my route. He drops his shoulder just enough. And, and that's why I disagreed with the explanation in the booth that – What they say in the booth? No, no. I think, that they were, I think they were saying that it wasn't. Well, I think they were saying that it wasn't. I didn't feel I like it was. I think that that drop of the shoulder makes it interference. Well, he's 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 trying to protect himself a little at the point where now he's come, he sees Daniel Jones scrambling. He's coming back to the ball, and as he's doing that, he sees the defender coming, you know, and I think that's why he lowers the shoulder. So, and no, it's not the worst, but to me, that would classify under, hey, it's a lot of people running in a lot of different directions here, and they just – happened to run into each other i did not see like an intent to pick anybody he wasn't seeking them out from 10 yards away it was more like oh no wait he's right here and then he lowers his shoulder i'm gonna run into him that that's more the way i felt about it at least it, it was called and they were talking about how it shouldn't have been called now that i reflect on it a little bit more i just think that that drop of the shoulder is the thing that does it if you're just gonna have a collision you're gonna have a collision you've just got it's almost like taking a taking a charge in basketball there's a point where you just have to accept it and when you when you do that dip the shoulder and shove it into him I think you're inviting that flag so I I understand that one and I can't get upset about it because he it didn't look like an inadvertent collision here's another one with Noah Brown and this was not as egregious as the one from the first half but man oh man third and one 606 left in the game Cowboys on the Giants 26 and and I was laughing about this one because he's held by two by guys. By two people. By two. Two guys. I, I know. Listen, I was sitting there going, oh, my gosh, we got lucky there because that was the right play call. I mean, if they don't hold them, he's going to split those two because they're too aggressive coming up in the line of scrimmage. I don't – I don't – this is where I'm, I'm annoyed with the NFL right now because next week now there's going to be a memo sent out, and now every time, you know – I mean, a fingernail's laid on somebody. They're going to call pass interference. But in this game, for whatever reason, they let, you know, manslaughter go on on the wide receivers. I don't get it. It's it's like everything's ticky-tack. And then all of a sudden we got in this game and they said, ah, the hell with it. It's Monday night football. Let's just let it go, whatever. And, you know, that's, it, it was a disadvantage for the Cowboys uh, more than it was for the Giants, that's for sure. Here's one from the Bengals-Jets game. Played in that same stadium one day earlier, T. Higgins. 
back in the end zone. This is an application of a very obscure rule. And I remember having this explained to me years ago yeah. and thinking, boy, when does this ever happen? Well, it happens. If you catch at the sideline with your toes going out and you just tap your toes and then step out, it's a good catch. Right. However, if your back is to the boundary and your toes are down, they tap, but then, then your the heels heel come rolls, down right. out. It's not a catch. Here's T. Higgins on what was not, and this was a proper and accurate call. This is an instance of where two feet down are not two feet down because the toes don't count if the heels come down out of bounds. It's that simple, Chris. Yeah, that's right. It was totally the right application. I mean, a phenomenal catch. I mean, great job with the feet for the most part. But, yes, it's still considered the same step if the rest of the foot comes down to the ground. So, in in all actuality – it's that it's, yeah, the toes, like you said, you explained it the right way. They're down, but that one foot, it rolls, and the back heel comes down, and they did. They applied this the right way, and I, I got no problem with that at all. I, I definitely don't. What a catch, though. I mean, that really was special by T. Unbelievable. And, and, yes, you could tap your toes and then not touch inbounds with tap the rest them of your and foot. Get them up. But if the rest of your foot goes down as part of the tapping process and it lands out of bounds, it's not a catch. That's the rule. Properly applied by the officials in that case. Let's take a break. When we return, not properly done by me, the power rankings, because I'm sure there will be plenty of disagreements. There have been plenty of disagreements. That's part of the fun. We'll take a look at the week four power rankings when PFT Live presented by Google Pixel continues right after. You're an idiot, Florio. Top of the rankings, power rankings presented by Google Pixel. Learn more at googlestore.com. When the top three teams lose, you're going to have movement. Three undefeated teams down two undefeated teams left and i decided to make the dolphins number one leapfrogging the eagles i haven't gotten much blowback from eagles fans on this i think they know the dolphins have beaten better teams plain and simple the dolphins have beaten better teams and the dolphins took the best and the most punches that the bills could offer and they still emerged with more points than the buffalo bills somehow so the dolphins are in the number one spot and they'll have it until somebody beats them and I, I assume we're not going to see the 72 Dolphins 50 years later, but who the hell knows at this point? The Dolphins have looked pretty good so far, Chris. Yeah, they have. I, I have no problem with you making them one or two. I probably would have made the Eagles, too, who have won. I mean, one, excuse me, who have really kind of won all three games somewhat, you know, handily. But I, I get it. And, you know, I think to that point, is it's, it's one of the most talented rosters in football. You know, and they are still kind of finding their way. So I, I'm there with you. I think the thing that jumps out to me more than anything is just, you know, so far here we are. It's just the I, teams are still finding their way, right? It, it's hard. It, it's it's it, teams are a little sloppy. It's 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 hard to look at it and go, wow. There's a lot of great football teams right now, or at least teams that we look at to go one or two, where we go, oh, I think they're going to run away with this for sure. You know, we'll see as this plays out, but. Um, you know, right now I do think you look at the Dolphins and Eagles and they've clearly been the cleanest and, and best playing football teams in the league as far as consistency is concerned. Let me get to a question from Fred Durf on Twitter. Do the Jaguars, who are now number 11, I moved them up seven spots after they thumped the Chargers, do they win the AFC South? It seems like Doug Peterson is just 
what they needed. Chris, do you think they win the division at this point? They're capable. They are capable. Mike, this is, I mean, this is my man crush team. You know, I know you don't listen to my podcast and I don't expect you to. It's just, I hear you say it otherwise. I know. I know. Yeah, you know. I'm aware. I know. Sometimes I'm not sure if I say it here or I say it there. Uh, But they're the team that, you know, I've kind of had my eye on. You know, ever since the offseason with some of the moves, then we saw them in person at the Hall of Fame, and I just went, holy shit, do they have studs everywhere. This is unbelievable. And now they're kind of confirming that. I I do. I think they got a real chance. I think they're that team to say, you know, again, I'm not picking the Super Bowl, but that team like last year with the Bengals where you go, they came out of nowhere and are a force. The Jaguars have a lot of the makings there. Trevor Lawrence is playing awesome, and we saw the defense can be dominant. I mean, very dominant. Uh, I think there is a good chance they can win the AFC South. What about you? How long until Urban Meyer finds a way to take credit for what's going on? I built that team. I did it. Yes. Yeah, he's going to tell us that at some point, I'm sure. But, yeah, what, I mean, what, what's your eye? What's your, your spaghetti and meatballs tell you about what you're seeing from the Jags right now? I think they're in a perfect spot to keep it going because I I still think that the league at large has yet to wake up to it. And there's that there's that process you have to go through, and we, we went through it last year with the Bengals, where it takes time to accept that when you look at a Jaguars uniform, the players wearing that uniform are good enough to kick your ass and are going <laughs> right. to kick your ass. Right. And it, it right. just takes time. Right. Right? Yeah. I see the highlights, and I just think, that's eh, the Jags. About the Jaguars. Like, but, and and that, that plays to their benefit. I think it really does. Now, by next year – It'll be too late if they continue to play like this and win the division and get to the playoffs and make some noise. But I think it does benefit them. They are not yet a measuring stick team. It's too early, and no one's going to buy into it yet. And, hey, Chris, they go to Philly this weekend. Well, what a game that is. Talk about a sneaky, sneaky great, great game. game. Boom. That's where I was going with it. It is a sneaky, great game. You're right. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I can't wait to watch that. I mean, Dougie, Dougie P back in Philadelphia – you know he's going to want to shove it up you know, where the sun don't shine on that crew there. And, you know, to your point here, they're one of the few teams I see in the first 10 games against the Eagles to go, they actually have the horses and the pieces to not be overwhelmed by the Eagles' talent. The Eagles are it's probably the best roster in football. I look at them, the 49ers, the Dolphins as having the most complete rosters in football, you know, up there at least. The Bucks are in that conversation. I think the Jags are starting to be in that conversation. I'm, I'm excited to see that one. Physical, big, strong, fast guys all over the field. Sneaky great game. This is from Paul. Which of the bottom quarter of the teams have the best path to being a playoff team this season? So that would be the final eight teams. If we can pull that up and take a look. I would generally say a team from the NFC because I think the path in the NFC is going to be easier. And you see packed there at the bottom four, the top three teams, or the bottom eight rather, the top three teams at the bottom eight are all in the NFC South, Panthers, Saints, and Falcons. I think one of those three teams could end up winning a wild card berth. I, I would not be shocked, and I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's. I'd probably pick the Saints still, even though it hasn't been pretty. I'd probably go with them, uh, just because I feel like some some things are at least in place. And uh, but they got to find their way a little bit. Uh, they do. Uh, and, and you know, last week they're they're another team that you know made some big time mistakes to let Carolina kind of control that football game. That game should have been a lot closer down the stretch. 
But I, I still think I look at the Saints to be that team that could kind of make a jump and make a run into the NFC playoffs. What, what about you? You think it's one of those three, I, pretty much? I'm, yeah, I'm going to be a prisoner of the moment, say the Falcons, since they're the most recent ones to win. But they okay. had that 16-point lead over the Saints to start the season. And as long as Marcus Mariota stays healthy, and who knows, maybe if he gets injured, Desmond Ritter comes in and plays well and gives them the spark they need. But they got Kyle Pitts involved. Cordell Patterson is as good this year as he was last year. Uh, because he's a little bit older, I guess there was a thought, you know, the wheels are going to start coming off for him. No, he no, was they're awesome not. against the Seahawks. They go to Seattle and win. That's impressing me. I think the Falcons are the team that I'm watching now in that bottom eight. And maybe the Lions, too, if they can be a little I more consistent. You. Right. Ma- Marty has this question. Did the Broncos' one-point win over the 49ers really deserve shooting them up by 11 spots? Their run defense was only good when Debo was in the backfield and their offense was atrocious. Are they really that much better than the Chargers, Patriots, or Steelers? Well, look, I, I don't care where a team was last week. I mean, I am influenced by it a little bit, but it's a snapshot of where they are right now. And they moved up because the teams that were in front of them lost for the most part and didn't look good. I mean, the Chargers didn't look good. The Patriots no. didn't look good. The Steelers didn't look good. And the, Bronco, the Broncos ultimately won for as ugly as that game was. The Broncos got their act together at the right moment. And drove down the field and scored a touchdown to win the game and then put the clamps on Jimmy G and company when they were trying to, to get in position for a game-winning field goal. That's right. So they won the game. Right. They beat the 49ers. Right. None of us expected them to other than Matthew Barry, who got a free belt buckle from <laughs> the Broncos that. for yeah. being the lone wolf. Uh, first, pra- first place is you get the belt buckle. Second place is you actually have to wear it. But, uh, yeah, they, they won. Credit to them. They moved up 11 spots. It's all relative, and it changes, and it will change. They got the, I think they got the Raiders this week, a desperate Raiders team, and we'll see if they can uh, handle them. I think that's who they play. I, we're, we're in that, that weird mode where we begin to shift to next they week. They are. You're right. You're so I don't right. know all the games. So, uh, yeah, uh, they, if they hold off the Raiders and send the Raiders to 0-4, then they, they, uh, they deserve that spot. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. I don't, I don't know. You know, I think the, the thing I would say is, like, are they that – they're, they're better than the Patriots and the Steelers right now. I am going to put them in that. The Broncos could very easily be 3-0. and If they don't fumble on the one-foot line twice against Seattle and 46 left hash doesn't happen – I mean, they were the better team on the field that night. They should have won the game. You know, things are a little ugly right now, but that's, I think, the way they're going to be here for a little bit. You know, Russell Wilson's still finding his way. Russell Wilson, to me, is not nearly as magical as he used to be. I think he's got to start playing a little bit like he did on that last drive and creating some plays, and he's got to throw the ball over the middle a little bit more. It can't always be like, oh, I can't see, and I don't trust it, and I'm just never going to throw an interception. You know, he certainly has not been spectacular either, but they're a defensive football team that has shown they can run the ball, and I wouldn't be shocked if we see them win a lot of 20-14 to 14 games, 17-10 to 10 type of football games. Um, but I think you're justified with where they're at in this, this power rankings. But you're right. We need to see more of the Russell Wilson that we saw at the end of the game, and I think as time goes by, and Nathaniel Hackett, the new head coach, is kind of working his way through this early season struggle, but they're – they're two and one. Yes, for a team that feels like they're one and two right. or worse. Right. They're two and one, and these wins in September are money in the bank for your playoff positioning later in the season. Let's take a break. An update on Miles Garrett, plus plenty more to come on this Wednesday edition of PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel. Browns issued a statement last night regarding pass rusher Miles Garrett. 
He has a shoulder sprain, a bicep strain, and minor lacerations as a result of a single vehicle accident that happened on Monday. He does not have a concussion. He does not have broken bones. His status for Sunday's game against the Falcons is up in the air. But the good news is that he and his passenger are fine. When you see photos and video of that vehicle, it's amazing to think that they are in such good shape, Chris. But that's the best news that that uh, Garrett and the passenger of the vehicle are okay, and now we focus on when he can get back on the field. Yeah, that's right. It's good news. I mean, it, it's nothing major. I mean, at least nothing to where we go, oh, gosh, he's going to be out for an extended period of time. Or, you know, like you said, a car crash like that, you start to go, man, I hope this doesn't affect the, the future of his career. So uh, glad he got out of that one okay. And they're going to need him. Again, you know, we know. He's, he's special. He really is. And his ability to kind of sway the game, change game plans, I mean, he's one of those top five pass rushers in the game. There's no question about that. We mentioned earlier this effort by Jerry Jones to speak into existence a quarterback controversy. Dak Prescott told USA Today that he's probably not returning week four against the Commanders. Week five against the Rams, that's the one I'm looking at, Prescott said. Some people are okay with sitting out, but I'm not built that way. It's effing killing me not being out there with my guys. It's so hard, but I also know I've got to be patient. Yeah, it's even harder when the owner of the team is trying to make it look like it's Joe Montana and Steve Young in Dallas and trying to will this into Cooper Rush becoming so good that that they don't have to pay $40 million a year to Dak Prescott anymore. That's what adds to the pressure. And and I'd say most guys in the NFL are wired the way Dak is, especially quarterbacks, yeah. leaders of the team. They want to get back and play. Everybody wants to play. It's football season. You want to find a way to play football. Right, right. Well, you know, again, and you're right. I don't know why Jerry Jones is instigating this a little bit or putting fuel on the fire there. I do think it is to rush Dak Prescott back uh, in some strange way. Definitely, yeah, he wants to be out there. We know that. He's a guy that lives it, loves it. You can see it. I mean, that, that's, you know, I don't even question that. And they're going to need him. They're going to need him. You know, they, they've been, they played well the last two weeks. Mike, you know what I really want to say is just because this drives me crazy. You know, I hate this. This is what happens here. The backup gets in, and now they, the team starts to play a way that fits their team better because they've been, wait, we got Dak Prescott. Let's just throw it. Let's throw it. Let's throw it. Let's throw it. Let's throw it. No, your team, they're not built. You guys aren't that good that way. So play the way you had the last two weeks when Dak Prescott is. You know, make the, the defense has been creative. They have felt the pressure to hold up their end of the bargain, and then they've been balanced on the offensive side of the ball. And it hasn't been just, hey, Dak, drop back and squeeze it into another tight window every play. They're playing a full, complete team game right now. I hate that about the NFL. I've experienced it. I've seen it. The backup gets in, and all of a sudden we coach the team a different way. Coach the team this way with Dak Prescott, and you might have been 3-0. and So we'll see where it goes from here. But they're going to need him and his ability to make plays, big throws down the field. Cooper Rush is not Dak Prescott. So I'm not going to let that happen and let this controversy go on, no matter what Jerry says. You make an excellent point because after Prescott got injured, there was a comment from Coach Mike McCarthy about the offense, and he said, we have to be smarter. Well, why weren't you already smart? Exactly. Why, why does it take – the loss of a player that you would otherwise just rely on and say, go do your thing to require you to be smarter, be smarter, right? Be smarter with your best player, right? Be smarter all the time. Don't just be smarter when you don't have the luxury of your best quarterback available. It is telling 
He really is. It is. It's, he, it's obvious. He's he's it's if I'm if I'm Jerry Jones and I'm and I'm Mike McCarthy, Sean Payton, Mike McCarthy, Sean Payton. That's the kind of comment that in hindsight is very revealing about Mike McCarthy as a coach. You don't get smarter. You stay as smart. You just are. It should be. I agree with everything you said. And I hadn't thought of it that way. But you you can, I think, as a coach, rely too much on your players and yes. not put in the time, the effort, and the brain power necessary to get the most out of your team. Agreed. It's a comfort zone. That's what great quarterbacks do sometimes. Well, they just go, well, I'll just call this pass play. He'll make it happen. It's not that creative, but he'll put it on the money, and that's okay. Well, no. The damn good quarterbacks go, wait, can I have that play where we fake the Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard runs out this way and I throw the ball and he gets 20 yards? I like that free bullcrap play, too. You know, the, the, that's where I, I don't get it, and hopefully they've learned their lesson from, from that standpoint because if, if they do play the way they're playing and now you add on Dak Prescott to the equation and his ability, which is greater than Cooper Rush, then you start to go, oh, watch out. And then Michael Gallup gets back and you start to go, whoa, uh, they can put you in a bind here. They're running the ball a little bit. They got some cute little short passes, and now you got Gallup, C.D. Lamb, and Noah Brown, man to man, and you know that could cause some problems for people. So you know, hopefully, they can follow that formula as they go forward. Nothing against Mike McCarthy, but I do know that Sean Payton would work in those those plays that Definitely. are benefiting Cooper Rush. Definitely. with Dak Prescott, right, and would always have the right play at the right time to use under the right circumstances. It's the right time for us to take a break. When we return, our draft for this Wednesday. The biggest surprises so far of the 2022 NFL regular season. More PFT Live presented by Google Pixel right after this. The folks at Vanderbilt posted a tweet highlighting what their <laughs> alumni did in the NFL in week three, and they made sure to focus on Trent Sherfield, who was on the receiving end of the butt. Uh, that's oh, great. That's great. Fortunately for the Dolphins, they still won that game because that was the moment where, you know, on top of everything else, and we didn't even put that in our pack of the things that went wrong. When you have the momentum swing back your way after that and you still don't cash in, I mean, that's the moment where the Bills should just go right down the field and score a touchdown, not even a field goal. So, I, there was a part of uh, me, that Mike, was something. that was like wondering, like, was it a good thing, actually? You know, was it? I mean, I know it made the game to a field goal, but like more, t you know, more times than not, they're going to get the ball on their side of the fifty going in. I know they had a score touchdown; that won't be easy. But instead, they got the ball kind of in their own territory and then had a drive. And you know, I think gives uh, it just it's just an interesting conversation. I, it's a good I, point. It's a good know? point. Yeah. You know, you could have a nice little return. Right, you could be thirty yards away with a minute and a half left exactly, and uh, more than enough time to get to the end zone instead of struggling to get yourself into field goal range. All right, um, biggest surprises so far this season, not including the butt punt, Crisco. Well, I'm going to take Mike McDaniel right off the, 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 right off the, the hot press here, uh, right on topic. I mean, I think a lot of people, I know you and I were believers, and we like him, and I think we, we were able to see that, like, hey, just because he's quirky doesn't mean he can't coach X's and O's and relate to guys, you know, and he's, you know, looks like kind of a Yale nerd, right, and all that, whatever. I think, you know, you and I both had a, a lot of people like, Mike McDaniel, huh? Is that going to work, huh, huh? Yeah, it works. It's 3-0. and And their defense, we know, makes plays, and he's brought playmaking to the offensive side of the ball. 
Uh, that's where they're different than the last two years, where it's been you know tough and Brian Flores defense. Now they still have somewhat of that defense in place, but yet they have an offense that attacks you to where you go, oh crap, whoa, they just you know they just gave a speed sweep for twenty yards, or he threw a five yard pass and he got thirty yards, and then whoa, it's a deep pass down the middle and Tua hits it. So Mike McDaniel, I'm going to give him some love right off the bat here, Mike. And I'm going to sign on with your man crush team for 2022 and say the Jaguars, specifically their defense. We expected their offense with Doug Peterson there to be pretty good. The defense has been phenomenal. Linebacker Devin Lloyd has been all over the place. All over, man. Pass coverage, just yeah. disruptive. And um, they, they shut out the Colts. Who would have saw that coming? Although the Colts just can't win in Jacksonville. At least in the past, they've scored points against the Jaguars in Jacksonville. But the Jaguars at 2-1, and one, could be, maybe should be 3-0. and I think if they played Washington again, they'd probably beat them. No question. Um, the Jaguars' defense has been a revelation and completely unexpected by me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to watch. And, I mean, when you talk about their front and their linebackers and you hit Devin Lloyd and you put that with Foyaside Aluakon, I mean, and their secondary, the scheme is good. You know, Mike Caldwell, defensive coordinator there, the guy, that's another guy, put him on the radar. Put him on the radar for what he's doing and how he's coaching that football team for future head coach, you know, expectations. Uh, but I, I'm with you, Mike. I like that all the way. Here's one, here's one that I, I can't wait to give love to because I don't get it. Um, I don't understand it. And that's Jacoby Brissett. As he, you know, I'm the, I don't know if it's like a whoa surprise, but he's played really good in three games. They should be 3-0. and the coach lost one of the games with, with not conveying how to handle the end-of-the-game situation against the Jets. Jacoby Bursett, you know, my, my dad made this point a little last week when we were talking. He's just like, why can't anybody give him love? Like, well, what, why, why? I mean, if it was Deshaun Watson and Deshaun Watson played this way with those numbers and they were 2-1, and one, we'd all be talking about, oh, my gosh, look at what Deshaun Watson is doing. Jacoby Bursett's doing a hell of a job. Everybody just keeps glossing over it. So way to go, Jacoby Brissett. Keep kicking some butt. Peter King and I addressed the question on the day after the win over the Steelers, how many wins Jacoby Brissett would need to spark a conversation as to whether or not Deshaun Watson should not automatically play right, when right. he's reinstated, if he's reinstated. And people act like that's the dumbest thing you could ever say. Really? Why? It's Really? The guy who's winning, who's ready, you can't just say – we're automatically putting Deshaun Watson on the field because we made the huge investment to get him. That would be stupid if Agreed. the Browns do that. Agreed. That would be dumb. That would be idiotic. Just because we gave up so much to get him, we're paying him so much, and we dealt with all this PR crap, we're putting him on the field. You got a hot hand in Jacoby Brissett. If, if they yeah. you know, have seven, eight, nine wins right. after 11 games, how could you not continue to let it play out and just say we need to get Sean Watson ready? The guy's coming in cold. Exactly anyway, right. I, 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 don't, I don't get that. I don't get that. All right, I'm going to go with the Eagles just because I, I didn't expect them to be 3-0, and and they have been dominant in all three games. Now, they let their foot off the gas against the Lions, but they had the Lions blown out. They completely manhandled the Minnesota Vikings, and they obliterated the Washington Commanders. The Eagles have looked great, and it's great, as we said earlier, to see the Eagles and the Jaguars getting together this weekend in Philadelphia, Chris. It is. It is. I can't wait to watch that game because it's, it's stud, studs galore and two teams that I think are going to you know, walk on the field. And Jacksonville's got this confidence right now after two great wins of going, wait, we're damn good. We're not going to be bullied by anybody. And then you add in the Doug Peterson effect of it. Yeah. 
Uh, it, it goes beyond sneaky great game. I can't wait to watch that at 1 o'clock on Sunday. Let's take a break. We will do round three of our draft. The biggest surprises so far in the 2022 season on PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel right after this. All right, round three of our draft. The biggest surprises so far this season. Chris, what do you got? I'm going to go with a negative one here. All right. I'm going to go with the Ravens defense. I know they're two and one. I get that, but it ain't because of the defense. I, I I know that their defense sucks. I don't know any other way to say it. They're good. They, I I understand why they they signed JPP. I mean, it's it's do whatever you want against the Ravens. Run the ball, pass the ball, doesn't really matter. You know, that's where it, it's it's. I mean, the the Patriots. We talk about their offense. You know, well, they're not explosive, and what are they going to do? I mean, they moved the ball up and down the field in the Ravens. They had no problem. Did whatever they wanted. Dolphins, we know they did pretty much whatever they wanted. And then week one, you know, the Jets, they had some success too. They just made some blunders and whatever else, but they ran the ball. I'm, I'm concerned about the Ravens' defense. I mean, it, it's Lamar's show right now. If they don't have Lamar, they're 0-3. That's all I'll say. I mean, he's, he's been that awesome. Mike McDonald is the new defensive coordinator. He came from – Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. Oh, that's John the problem. That's the problem. Asking Jim, what the hell, Jim? <laughs> Say hi to you, your Jim, dad, you Jim. You trying to sabotage me? <laughs> Say hi to your brother. All right. Um, I'll go Lamar Jackson. That was my plan even before you got down the Ravens rabbit hole. Just because of all the contract talk. And somebody did an analytical study of Lamar Jackson post his MVP season. And he really has not been great. As great. Not even close. In 2020 and 2021, he was injured the last four games of last season. I thought this contract thing hovered over. He's been spectacular. 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 Now, still got to stay healthy. But he's every bit as good as he's ever been. He could have a bookend to his 2019 MVP prize. He's been great through three weeks. He's got a long way to go for this self-bet to pay off. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not cashing in yet. He's got three more seasons before he really gets to the tail end of this, I'm going to walk away like Kirk Cousins. But he's been great this year, and I, that is a very pleasant surprise. It, I mean, he's on fire. I mean, he's he's certainly in the conversation for my money for MVP of football, probably the leader. He really is. I mean, it's it's been great. And this is the other aspect I like about it, Mike, because we talk you know the contract, all that. Oh, you know, hey, it's a little more risk with a guy like Lamar Jackson if he gets hurt and all that. You know what he's doing though, too. You know, he's getting to the point here where he go, well, I, I don't care if he did hurt his ankle badly. He is showing that he can dice you up in the pocket all game long. He is a very good thrower of the football. He's an elite thrower of the football. And his decision-making has gone to the elite status here through the first three weeks, too. So, yes, like Lamar. And, then man, that price tag is getting scary for uh, Steve Bishotti in, in Baltimore. To all our friends in Florida who are in the path of Hurricane Ian, please stay safe. Get to higher ground. Listen to the local authorities. No doubt. It's going to get bad down there. It looks like Tampa is going to be spared. We'll have more details tomorrow in the aftermath of the storm as to what it means for the Sunday game between the Chiefs and the Bucks. But that is not even close to a primary concern for now. Everybody, please stay safe, and we'll see you on Thursday. Have a great Wednesday. See ya.
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.